Good evening, Paul. How are you? So, the Tottenham game, Birmingham City coming up on the weekend, the youth team in action, lots to talk about this week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can we hurry up and talk about it at Cantona, please, Ed? <laughs> no, that's a treat for the end of the show. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm not going to mention Eric Cantona between now and the end of the show. I might mention it once or twice. All right. Well, yeah, no, we'll, we'll get to Eric Cantona and his latest venture off in, in New York and uh, a team without a team, manager, playing field, fixture list, in fact, anything bar a, uh, a couple of uh, youth teams which are, in fact, someone else's youth team and a logo. We're going to get to that later because I've got a 2011 appropriate Cosmos 11 for King Eric to consider. Yes, and I, I've got a team too. We had a little chat before this show and we've each come up with a potential first 11 for the, the Cosmos, of course, in a traditional New York NASL style. But we'll, we'll get to that later. Let, let's talk Tottenham first because this was billed as United's tough game of the season. We spoke last week about um, you know, the, the potential for United actually losing a first game of the season. As it turns out, uh, I thought it was a pretty good performance all round from United. Obviously, not enough created and no goals, but uh, very little danger from the home side, I thought. Well, the first 10 minutes, I was terrified, I have to say. I, I thought we might get overrun. We looked, they just looked like they had a lot more about them than we had about us. And there were aspects of our performance which I found incredibly disappointing. Vidic had a magnificent game, I think that's fair to say. And in spite of his, let's just say, slightly unjust sending off, I thought Raphael was terrific. The two runs that he went on were just were just totally wonderful. They were kind of fantasy football stuff, weren't they? He was he was yeah he was brilliant and he was really good defensively as well. And, and I, I thought he, I thought he had a great game. I thought he was extremely unlucky. I mean, I, I guess the first was a, a, a yellow card, even though he did get some of the ball. It's it's been a while since the rules changed on that one. Fair enough. But the second one, I think there there wasn't a pro or pundit watching that actually believed that was genuine. I, I think Raphael's problem and and where the naivety actually showed was not in not in his game but his reaction to the sending off yeah. and uh, uh, because you can't change the referee's mind once they've done it so there's you know the no good can come from vociferously protesting you might as well just accept it and uh, and I think uh, Alex Ferguson did the right thing afterwards and saying it's out of my bounds now thank God uh, which was reported rather strangely in the Daily Mail as Ferguson blasts referee when he had in fact said I'm not commenting on that yeah he was blasting the referee though wasn't he by saying he's not commenting on that I mean that's that's exactly what he was doing but but it was interesting there's a couple of things that happened in that game with Raphael as I said the runs were, were magnificent he he waved a pretend yellow card at one point and sort of I don't know about you but I was having a quick look at my Twitter feed and it exploded with people basically saying now now lad that's not the United way kind of thing and then Rio kind of had a quick word with him going no we don't do that son which was just fantastic because it's a spur of the moment thing and he did it because he was extremely frustrated at having been booked himself and being constantly barracked by the Tottenham fans so it was obviously kind of het up um, yeah. but it, it was good to see the captain taking him aside and saying no sorry that's how, that's not how we do it exactly right thing to do from Rio he's now one of the senior pros and as much as he was uh, uh, you know, something of an idiot when he was young uh, he's matured into a, into a fine role model I think for United's younger players definitely so that, that was a little bit unfortunate from Raphael and clearly when, when he got sent off I mean you know United fans that we do have a bit of a tendency to be quite rightly occasionally sort of say why does the FA kind of deal so harshly with Manchester United players and some if it was Steven Gerrard he'd have got away with it and whatever but I don't really care about that stuff you can't verbally abuse the referee and, and use kind of foul and abusive language like that in clear view of the cameras it's against the rules whether that rule gets consistently enforced or 
or not, I don't ever mind seeing that rule get enforced because I think not to get all kind of sentimental about it, but a lot of kids are sitting there at home watching that game and growing up idolising these players. And if they can set a slightly more kind of measured role model, that can only be a good thing for the game as a whole, I think. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think I think the problem is where um, United is used as the, the template. You know, I, I saw one journalist uh, in particular say on Twitter that, yeah, it's about time the FA did something uh, about this. It's, it's time they set a benchmark. Well, you know, that's exactly the argument was, that was made when they punished Rio Ferdinand for missing a drug test. I, I'm not quite sure where, why the United player has to set the precedent and the benchmark, and it does seem to happen on more than one occasion. I am sure it has happened on more than one occasion, but obviously United are in the public eye in a, to a different extent to other teams. I think that's a, a significant factor. But I'm sure you could find examples of other clubs being used as a benchmark for for, for things. You know, the the Chelsea tapping up, was it Chorluca? No, it's, it's not Chorluca. Who is it? that they... Cole. Cole. Ashley Cole. No, no. When Chelsea tapped up the player from France, the young lad, and... Gail Kokuta. That's it, Kokuta. Not... When Chelsea tapped up Gail Kokuta, you could argue that that sort of thing was going on in general. And like we talked about this at length at the time, and there were certain specifics about that which made it particularly punishable. But I think if we'd been Chelsea fans, there's a chance that we'd have said, Oh, this is out of order. This is... Why are they picking on us? All, all, all teams do it. So that's how Chelsea fans talk. So I don't know if you know that or not. So I, I do feel a, a little bit like, oh, come on, we're not we're not Liverpool, you know. We we don't have to sort of say Paul Little picked on Manchester United all the time. No, no we don't, and and uh, of course we don't yet know what the punishment is. Uh, it, it would feel pretty harsh if he got an extra ban as a result. Uh, you know, he'll end up with a you know, two or potentially three match through the you know, effectively the referee's mistake. Fortunately, we've got games against Birmingham, Blackpool coming up, so we ought to be able to cope. It'd be interesting, I think, to to see. Uh, which direction Ferguson goes in terms of his replacement? Well, given that West Brown's so out of favour and John O'Shea still injured, will he go back to Gary Neville, who has been horrendous when given the opportunity this season, or will he give Fabio a chance? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Somebody, uh, a supporter of a different team that I work with, was asking me about Fabio and sort of saying, well, where is he? Uh, Raphael's become like an absolute kind of pillar of the first team, easily first choice right back. What, what's happened to Fabio? Yeah, well, I- injuries played a, a large problem. And of course, you know, there's one pack. Patrice Evra in his natural yeah. position, so and that's a that's a tough one for him. Uh, it feels like the, you know Gary Neville and Philip Neville all over again. The uh, the least talented brother is the is the one. Well, if at least if reports, are, I mean, and, uh, you know, I've seen Raphael at reserve level only. It's very hard to tell, isn't it? But but uh, at 17, everyone said that he was the the man with the talent. Mm. So and of course Phil Neville was naturally more gifted, is naturally more gifted than his brother. Just perhaps didn't have the application. Uh, yeah, although his later career is you know as as He's gone on to be extremely successful at Everton, hasn't he? Play a vital role for Talking of looking at the Twitter whilst watching a match, something which confused me greatly was just how many United fans were saying, oh, Rooney's looking good today. I just thought from pretty much from his first touch, I thought, uh-oh, this isn't good. And and nothing changed my opinion all the way through the game. It was like when he didn't have the ball, he looked like Wayne Rooney. His movement was excellent. He looked really dynamic. And when he addressed the ball, as soon as he moved towards the ball, his first touch was shocking. 
his final product was shocking. I thought he had an absolute pig of a game, actually. Yeah, I have to say, I'm, I'm largely in agreement. I don't think, um, I don't, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd call it a pig of a game because he, he, he put the team effort in and he played in three yeah. different positions and, and all of that. But uh, yeah, I think in terms of his quality on the ball, it's just not there at the moment. Yeah, shots were flying wide. They weren't hit cleanly. He, he's not getting as many touches on the ball as he used to do. He, he made, was it 38 attempted passes, only 19 of which hit their, their target, and which says something. I think 50% possession is, is not good by anyone's standards in any position at any level. So yeah, it, it, it is a real problem. I, we just wonder when, you know, when are we going to see some signs of improvement? Because if we don't, there, there's an argument for not having him in the team, given that, that Hernandez, you know, can't stop scoring. Yeah, it's a pretty strong argument. I mean, perfect couple of games coming up. Birmingham are completely dreadful. They've got worse since they weren't particularly good against us at their place. They, they, they look completely in. I don't know if you saw the, the Birmingham derby on, on Sunday, a couple of games before the United game, but God, it was quite entertaining, but incredibly short of quality. Uh, so we should absolutely stuff them. I mean, we'll do a proper preview, but, but you'd think that'd be quite a good place for Rooney to get some confidence back because he should have some time on the ball and you know that sort of thing well uh, yes he should uh, if, he, if he plays of course Ferguson might mix things up a little bit um, we'll see about that one um, but they gave us quite a game at St Andrews I mean it was, it was very different I think in terms of you know, around that time we played West Brom as well which was, and we didn't play very well there either but it was a higher quality game and I think the uh, the game against Birmingham was just generally a not very good quality game on either side apart from Berbatov I have to say it. a fine goal that he scored as well so look we'll, we'll, um, we'll see whether Rooney plays for a start and whether he does well uh, but you're right it's, it's the perfect one at home um, I mean you know Birmingham are organised and, and uh, now they have less injuries at the back you presume they'll ship less goals than they have done to date uh, I think having uh, Dan is really important for them at the back and, and some kind of consistency there but but you know I agree in other areas of the pitch they're just not very good No absolutely and and so we, we should be comfortable against them uh, Tottenham what, what did you think of Tottenham in that game? I didn't really change my opinion of them I, I think they've got plenty of quality and then some failings so I, I think in the middle of the park they've they've got a, a huge amount of quality which United had to address in a couple of ways they they moved you know Rooney into wide positions when necessary and uh, I, I, Bale was well dealt with by Raphael and, and Lennon fairly anonymous so I actually think in terms of the quality they have in the midfield it's arguably better than United's it didn't really show itself on the day and I think they have it has shown itself at other times do you think they have a problem with the the kind of penetration and that, that marks the, the difference between the really top sides and, and ones you know that have a, a pretense to be there and I think that's where Tottenham are I think they're you know, maybe the fourth or fifth best side in the country and they need just you know probably a top striker would would make a difference for them and of course probably another central defender because they're, they're constantly getting injured it's, it's interesting it's going to be really interesting to see how they progress because I, I still don't understand where Tottenham's money come from I really I, I've never really understood it they they don't win that much. Their their attendances are good, but White Hart Lane isn't Old Trafford by any stretch of the imagination. And yet they always seem to be spending a fortune. They they do publish their account. I could I could find out if I really wanted to. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So then they're not, they're not spending significant amounts over and above what they actually earn, and and they have sold key players over yeah. time when they needed to. Yeah. So uh, that, that's generally how they've just about balanced the books. Uh, I mean, they're owned majority owned by Enoch, which is Joe Lewis's. Um, holding company so they do have a billionaire owner effectively but it's not in the same way that uh, Chelsea and Manchester City have it's not one that's ploughed hundreds of millions into the team they, they, their business model is to be self-sustaining now 
well. Now, attempts to move to the Olympic Stadium, or in fact destroy the Olympic Stadium, or redevelop the White Hart Lane area, is going to change that business model somewhat, and it will be quite close to the Arsenal model in that they they have to finance to increase their income. They can if they can replicate what Arsenal has done extremely successfully, then they'll be in a very strong position. If they can't, it could do what uh, has happened to other teams who attempted to rebuild, and it, it could uh, force their finances into a very weak position. And this is a real challenge for Spurs, especially uh, that they're on the periphery of the Champions League and not guaranteed to be in it. Quality-wise on the pitch, it, it's interesting because it, it, there really is a top five in England at the moment. And, you know, assuming that the Kenny Dalglish project hits any kind of level of success, which I, I don't really think you can write the chances of that off because he has been successful in the past and there are some... 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. But, you know, the, there's a degree of managerial talent there, isn't there, that, that, that's perhaps been absent for a while at, at Liverpool. And, and I think writing off the chances of Liverpool getting back into the top four in the next two or three years probably be something of a mistake. I'm not saying they will, but, you know... Well, I think it very much depends on, on how much money they're spending. If yeah, they yeah. are going to put down a marker and spend 20-odd million on, on Suarez, then then that might tell you that the, the new owners are, are serious about making a top team. But it's a very crowded space now, isn't it? So Manchester City have shaken things up. That's what I was going to say. And, and, and for, to- you know, for Tottenham, Liverpool, uh, Man City, uh, then teams that were sort of nudging their noses towards that position, like Everton and, and Aston Villa, um, who've obviously fallen right right down the ranks um, this season. But but it's, you know, it's a very different proposition now trying to make your team consistently Champions League worthy. And indeed, God, let's let's not let's not forget that that could happen to us. Yes, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And I think which brings us on quite neatly to some transfer talk. And I know we spoke about it a little bit last week and in fact the week before as well. But a couple of developments here, David Gill said yesterday, and I think this is the kind of party line, isn't it? That we can spend if we want to. And it's our choice to invest in youth. And we make, we make stars, we don't buy them. And it's become something of a, yeah, I know. I, I do laugh at that. It, it, it's become something of a mantra. Yes, United uniquely in the planet are able to identify players well before anyone else and uh, and uh, buy a bargain. Therefore, we have to, we don't need to spend as much to get as good quality as everyone else. That's that's essentially what David Gill is saying. Now, if you believe that, I, I think you're probably quite gullible. Uh, and I think this is probably setting up, this is my analysis and guess, <laughs> it's probably setting us expectations that United is not going to spend £100 million in the transfer market. Certainly not in January, but probably not in the summer either. Uh, just interpreting what Gill's saying, we, you could, you know, one point of view might be that, that United will probably buy one player a marquee name and then invest in some younger players and that will probably be our transfer strategy and that, that effectively is tied into how much money um, is being made available for transfers out of the 157 odd million pounds that's currently sat in the bank doing nothing yeah I mean it, it doesn't look like we're going to run out and splash the cash um, we, we talked and yet of course as we talked about it's entirely possible that Sir Alex will decide wake up one morning and decide he fancies someone you know it's it's not out of the realms of possibility like you said there's no distinct structure to our transfer policy so it's it's still not out of the question that we could buy someone no and and it's still an expensive market isn't it and that seems to be the issue for United at the moment we we're happy to spend on a few a collection of younger players that might you know, turn a profit later if they're successful uh, but we're not happy to spend on a big marquee names and and that hasn't despite the UEFA regulations coming in very shortly it's not called down yet and if Aston Villa can spend well 18 million 
million rising to potentially 24 million on Darren Bent that that sets the benchmark for all other players doesn't it well I mean that's that's obviously been the key transfer of the transfer window so far in terms of assessing the marketplace it's a remarkable transfer to me I I, I, I actually can understand it from Villa's perspective because there's you could you could make an argument that as long as he doesn't get injured there's there's a sense in which Darren Bent somewhat guarantees that you're not going to go down because right. he'll score enough goals right I think it's an insurance policy yeah yeah but but it does seem like an extraordinarily large it, it's clearly not good value for money in in simple terms like if you compare that to Mesut Ozil or yeah. Rafael van der Vaart or even Javier Hernandez yeah, well yeah quite but the market's obviously prepared to pay that amount of money for a player that can produce that kind of output isn't it well yes and Randy Lerner's loosened the purse string of course this is effectively why O'Neill left uh, he, he'd seen uh, you know, some key players go and not been given the money to spend and had a had a strop about it so it's interesting that Lerner obviously has a, a better relationship with Gerard Houllier than um, he did with O'Neill because he's he's been prepared to back his manager very very publicly and, and very expensively yeah and um, just very quickly I know this is United rant not football in general rant the Avram Grant saga at West Ham embarrassing is what it is it's unbelievable isn't it he's, he's, there's some, I don't mind Avram Grant I must say this. he has a certain dignified quality to him you know he's not kicked up a big stink in the papers he's you know he's just sort of quietly getting on with his job yes but he must he must wonder that he's left out of the frying pan at Portsmouth into a fire at West Ham and they uh, they have uh, debts that are, are a similar magnitude and um, owners who are extremely noisy and quite clearly briefing the press behind his back and then when they couldn't get their man you know the aforementioned O'Neill then said oh no no we we, we never intended for anyone else to have this job we've always been behind Avram yep right <laughs> Yep, and 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 United have got money to spend if they want. Yeah, to. and um and and they will be spending it on me. I I am now the new centre forward for United. Yeah, just thought I'd tell everyone the truth there. <laughs> Excellent. Well, oh well, this will obviously give the podcast a lot more insights into the running of the club. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, yes, I, I've agreed a deal to buy the club off the Glazers as well for uh, one pound fifty. Bargain. So anyway, on, on to on to more realistic things. So the the United youth team beat West Ham United this week the fourth round so um, long way from winning the competition in fact United haven't won it for eight years but it, it also highlighted uh, because he didn't play uh, one of the key players in the United youth team at the moment Ravel Morrison that people have so much hope for and he's anyone who's seen him play in the reserves or, or the or the youth side over the last sort of 18 months will have noticed his unbelievably silky touch and the way he kind of glides across the grass and there just seems to be an air of class about his play and so there's big hopes for him and uh, but the problem is he's he's got form and the Rumours first about um, him being arrested with guns and drugs in a car, uh, and then now uh, witness intim- intimidation. I've got to say, he's under 18, so these are definitely rumours, not confirmed, although rumours coming from a number of sources. And, and piece in The Guardian this week uh, that uh, suggested the club are, are thinking about, yeah, in fact, effectively sacking him because of the baggage that, that goes with him. And there's uh, a somewhat euphemistic term, I think, for, for Raphael Morrison and, and his, his collection of friends which don't seem to be doing any any favours. I think it'd be a real shame if he ended up leaving because I think he'll go to another top club and probably flourish because especially if he moves town and uh, gets into a new environment. Yeah, it's 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 such a sad 
story. I mean, it's obviously a speculation. So, so if if the general rumours are are true or approximately true, it's really sad. And it's it, you know normally you kind of hear about players somewhat wasting their talent a little bit later in life, almost. You know, it, it's George Best later in his career, or Tony Adams, or you know, getting into terrible problems later, or, or Paul Gascoigne. And to hear that that Morrison's that's having such difficult personal problems and and behaving in what seemed what you know if obviously all this is caveated by none of this might be true but if it is true I'm, I'm sort of saying if it is true it's 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 really sad stuff and and if of all people Sir Alex Ferguson can't do it then then you do worry for his future and 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 who will be able to uh, get him get him on the straight and narrow yeah yeah and 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 Paddy Curran said uh, he's too good not to make it at United well yeah he he might well be but he he might be too bad to make it at United as well so that that would be a shame and it, it'd actually be it'd be really nice to see the uh, the youth side do well in the FA yeah I mean they've, they've done well at academy level although not this season I've got to say they're sort of mid-table at the moment but in the last few seasons they've done pretty well but but no FA Youth Cup run for a while and United are, are of course the uh, most winningest team to <laughs> use an American phrase there in, in uh, FA Youth Cup history with, with nine wins so some some tradition there yeah absolutely um, and uh, <clears throat> uh, fanfare please talking of some tradition there Eric Cantona is going to be running the New York Cosmos. Well, let, let, let's let's put this. He's he's director of soccer, and uh, yeah, uh, Pele is of course running it because he's honorary president. I can't begin to express how happy this story made me when I saw it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I have to say I've got my cynical hat on. I think it's a marketing exercise, but I don't care, Red. I don't care how cynical you're going to be. It's impossible for me to be cynical because in a press release to the International Sporting Papers, Eric, this is now I had not read this press release before I saw the story so I got kind of overexcited by the insane level of glamour way before I read this and then when I read this I felt entirely vindicated because he said the cosmos are very strong beautifully made with a great pass it's kind of a mix between football and art and is okay that is my favorite Eric Cantona quote of all time he has just surpassed himself it's better than the trawlers and the seagulls <laughs> it's better than I am not a man I am Cantona although obviously someone else wrote that line it's just wonderful I know it's nonsense I know it's nonsense I know they're not actually going to sign Pele and Franz Beckenbauer and Carlos Alberto and you know that, Dennis Stewart <laughs> yeah. the, the terrible bloke from Lazio what's his name I can't remember his name but the Italian fellow yes, yeah, yeah. who scored millions into goals and was a terrible man um, and Johan Cruyff and oh. I don't think Cruyff played for the Cosmos actually but yeah he, he was in the North American Soccer League yeah yes, um, as, as was George Best for a while but yeah look so right now the, it, this is little more than a, a logo they, they don't have a license to play in the MLS uh, they're looking at the 20th expansion there, there are a few expansion teams coming in Vancouver and Portland and stuff over the next couple of years and um, and they, there are a few groups including one in Detroit uh, which has another you know strong bid to get that 20th franchise license and it is going to cost a lot of money 10 million dollar deposit and about 75 million dollar fee to to have the franchise and plus they have to show that they've got the financing to build a new stadium somewhere in the, the new york metro area and and uh, it looks like they're looking at uh, flushing in queens which is um a, a quite a big sporting hub already of course so uh, i mean it could happen it could well happen but at the moment there are a lot of cards that have to fall into the right place for for a real club to actually be there and and for the Cosmos to, to be born again. <laughs> yeah, 
I don't know. You say all that, and and I I hear you. But what I really imagine in my in my heart of heart is that yeah, money, whatever. They're gonna, Eric Cantona is going to walk in a meeting somewhere and say, I think that you should you know include the cosmos in MLS, and that that'll be it. You know, they'll be like, oh, Eric, okay, whatever you want. Okay, so so I I set you a challenge earlier this week. Yeah. As, yeah. Uh, born up by my obsession with the cosmos, and uh, it, by the way, if anyone has not seen the film Once in a Lifetime, the documentary about the 1970s New York Cosmos, do yourself a massive yeah, favour. Yeah, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's split into about eight parts, but yeah, you, you can get it on. Okay, YouTube. fantastic. Or you know, do the filmmakers a, a solid and buy yourself a copy on DVD if you if you can afford it, because it's a phenomenal documentary all about how the New York Cosmos really were a massive success story for for a period of time. So we haven't collaborated on this in uh, on this you know choice. So we, I've picked a, an eleven plus some subs. So I don't know. How do you want to go through it? Shall, shall I name my eleven? Okay. Well, no. I think I think I think we do keepers first. So 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 the only criteria f- for this where it has to be in the the uh, the North American Soccer League style, yeah. old style Cosmo style of past it players that might have a bit of character. More specifically, they have to be past their best, but they have to be cool. It's it's an absolute vital. They have to be cool. That's essential. Well, I, I don't know if all of mine are cool, but you know, we'll, okay, we'll, okay. we'll give it a shot. We'll give it a shot. They're, they're, they're certainly no spring chickens, anyway. So, so uh, Ingo, and and I, I don't I don't know about you, but I didn't pick any retired players. They're all still playing. Oh, okay. Well, I've got one who could be tempted out of retirement, and I picked no United players either because it'd be easy because it's half our side are about thirty eight. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've got I've got I'm not gonna say I've got some United players. Okay, so my goalkeeper is Jens Lehmann, former Arsenal keeper, certified not that <laughs> Excellent job. choice. Excellent, excellent choice. Aged forty one. I've gone for slightly better, slightly cooler, slightly younger, not eat nowhere near as good on the mental stakes, Gianluigi Buffon. Imagine that haircut and goal for New York Cosmos. Yeah, a member of the FIFA one hundred club, over a hundred caps. Uh, I think he's only in his early thirties, you know, so uh, yeah, you'll beat me on age group yeah yeah but but you win you win on crazy shenanigan potential um okay so I, i'm not sure this guy's so crazy in fact he's a bit too clean cut for this but, but yeah maybe but he's been around a long time so my right back is christian panucci ah uh, good choice a fine fine choice mine this is this is i've broken my rules i think he's a bit too young but there's a level of call to this right back which means i think he belongs in the side and that is my con fair enough yes he is a bit too young but he's not passed it enough yet but you know Give him a couple of years. All right, so let's go for both centre-backs. So my two centre-backs have got an Italian flavour to this. I've got Fabio Cannavaro, age 37, and Alessandro Nesta, age 34. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the truth is, of course, you have just named exactly what the back two of the 1970s New York Cosmos, if they were now, would be. But I've, I've cheated here. This is where I've gone for my one retiree. Bring back for one season only Mr. Paolo Maldini. Fair enough, yes. Uh, and a... Uh, alongside him because it was the 1970s when the New York Cosmos had their heyday uh, and only one man represents 70s football at centre-back position um, he's been a phenomenal servant of his club for a long time and has never ever ever had good hair that's M- Mr. Carlos Puyol <laughs> yes fair enough yeah no, you, uh, you, do, you do need some dodgy 70s haircuts <laughs> of course oh, of course, uh, a, a proper old school 70s Italian style defender of course he's Argentinian would have been Walter Samuel <laughs> So, but but okay. yeah, I haven't got him in my side. Um, so left back, I, I've got to say this one was obvious for me. This is just perfect MLS stuff. Uh, Roberto.
Roberto Carlos still playing at 37. Hey, Ed, guess who's my left back? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> not, not a difficult guess that whatsoever. Yeah, of course, Roberto Carlos, a left back. And right midfield, I think, picks itself as well. But, uh, you know, he's already out there. It's, it's just a quick trip across the coast. She might not like the weather, but I hear the shops are good in, uh, in New York. I, I, I've gone for Hollywood Dave. David Beckham at right-sided midfield. Uh, well, you see, I've, I've gone for a bit of, you know, some screwed-up tactical thinking, because obviously they've got a third-division Yugoslavian coach in charge here. So <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm picking a 4-3-2-1. Uh, so, so I'll give you all three of my midfielders. And okay. you can, so, so I've gone for my central midfielders of Clarence Seedorf. Yeah, you know, me obviously, too. Ob- obviously, <laughs> toked off his brain. Uh, Javier Zadesi is the holding player, uh, still playing age 474. And, and Mr. I am blind, Edgar Davids. Yeah, I nearly went for Davids, but uh, but I didn't in the end. Uh, Karen Seedorf is, of course, an absolute no-brainer. He, he ticks all the boxes perfectly. And alongside him, well, I, I did kind of want to put the Ginger Prince in there, but but I'm not I'm not going to do it because I don't think the glitz and the glamour would appeal to him. I can't imagine him coming out to fireworks. So I think playing a bit deeper than his natural role, because who cares about tactics? Juan Roman Raquel May in centre Fair enough. Field. Yes, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. So who have you got as your two behind the strike? Well, I, I went for uh, some, you know, nous and experience and, and touch and class here. Alessandro Del Piero, still playing, age 36. And and always had excellent facial hair, so perfect, perfectly good qualifier. And, and you know, the Iceman himself, Raul Gonzalez Blanco, better known as Raul, <laughs> formerly of Real Madrid, now Schalke, uh, the spring chicken of the side at age 33. That's oh, good, it's good, I like it. So, uh, playing on the left, reunited with his old pal. David, I didn't choose your United uh, veto because my one currently playing at Manchester United player in my New York Cosmos 11 uh, passed his prime, one of the best players of all time and superbly cool, Ryan Gick. Good choice, good choice. And who is your one up front? I can't believe you're only playing one up front. I- I'm only playing one up front, but it's it's. you could say he's more than one on account of the pies, Mr. The Original Fat Ronaldo. He's 34. Oh, what a good shout, Fat Ronaldo. Can't believe I didn't put Fat Ronaldo up front. But I've gone for his uh, his younger buddy, Ronaldinho, um, to play alongside because my secret weapon is that in spite of picking one Roman Raquel May, I think that the only logical choice for first team coach under director of soccer Eric Cantona would be one Diego Armando Maradona, <laughs> which means that up front alongside Ronaldinho would definitely be Martin Palermo. Uh, this is true. And he, and he is cool and a nut job as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So my bench is a little more serious. You know, you might you might actually need some players. So I've got David James, Sammy Hopier, John Dahl Thomason, Giovanni Van Bronckhurst, Hernan Crespo, Christian Vieri, still playing, age 37, and Ruud van Ruud van Nistelrooy. Um, I, th- I think that gives me an average teenager of about 36. <laughs> very good. Very, very appropriate. I, I can't believe I didn't I didn't pick subs, but um, uh, some players who were in and around my team, Paolo Di Canio coming out of retirement, I think that would, uh, that would definitely definitely make a degree of sense uh, in that kind of slightly objectionable former Lazio player uh, role. And I, I think I think there, there could be room, of course, for Thierry Henry to make a cross-town move to his the hated rivals from New York Red Bulls who are actually playing New Jersey, but we'll, we'll forgive that. And clearly, this is where Rio Ferdinand is going to finish his career, no doubt about it. Yes, he can open himself a, a club uh, in the village <laughs> and uh, yeah, play at the weekend. Yeah. He said this week he played till his 40. There, 
there you go we've sorted out the problem eric oh it's good to dream it's good to dream um so yeah that's that that's probably about it for yet another episode of the rank cast if, if you're listening come up with your own side for the the cosmos and we'll send it off to them yeah absolutely stick it in the comment of of the rank cast uh, post on united rant sorry we were late last week hopefully this one will be bang on time we we, we have people that care when we're late edit it would appear I, I wasn't sure that was the case but that seems to be the case amazingly so <laughs> um before we leave predictions for the birmingham city game I think it'll be a comfortable win for United, so I'm going to go for a 3-0 win. 3-0 is the exact figure I had in mind, so I've got to pick something different because we can't have the same prediction. All right, well, I hate to do it, but I'm I'm, slightly, I'm still slightly worried about United. I'm, I'm slightly worried about our performance level. It might be a bit edgier than we think it's supposed to be, um, even though we've been pretty good at home. So I'm going to go 2-0, but, but the second goal coming as some comfort late on in the game, so it might look a bit hairy along the way. Okay. And obviously, Dibitar Berbatov will score. Obviously, obviously as he does before retiring in the summer and going off to play for the Cosmos. (laughs) Well, I I guess that's it for this week's Rankcast. Uh, Good luck to Eric in his new, very serious, absolutely day-to-day role uh, with the Cosmos. Uh, Hopefully a good win for United over Birmingham and we'll be back next week. Let's hope the game against Birmingham can be kind of a mix between football and art.